given an inheritance. Thirty with what? In order to cure, you must first understand. In thirty with what? Rage. Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. You see how sure I am of my name? (laughs) (laughs) It was some hesitancy. (laughs) We are the Film Flamers. And uh, it's March. Typically in March, at least for for right now, we're talking zombies. Right. March because March of the Zombies. Made sense to me when we started... (laughs) doing it but this in this case i think it's more like a sprint of the zombies sprint of the zombies yes because we are talking 28 days later fast zombies much to my chagrin when i first watched this movie yeah how novel how novel indeed like no one had seen a fast zombie before 28 days that's what everyone says but i guess we'll get into that yeah soon enough because that's a lie that's a hideous myth it is (laughs) Uh, 28 Days Later is a 2002 British post-apocalyptic horror film directed by Danny Boyle and written by Alex Garland. It stars Killian Murphy? Is that how you say it? Yep. Killian Murphy as a bicycle courier who awakens from a coma to discover the aftermath of an accidental release of a highly contagious aggression-inducing virus that has caused the breakdown of society. COVID? <laughs> Slow COVID. Uh, Naomi Harris, Christopher Eccleston, 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 Megan Burns, and Brendan Gleeson appear in supporting roles. Garland took inspiration from George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead film series and John Wyndham's 1951 novel The Day of the Trivets for the film's post-apocalyptic story. Filming took place in various locations in the UK in 2001. The crew filmed for brief periods during early mornings and temporarily closed streets to capture recognizable and typically busy areas when they were deserted. John Murphy composed an original soundtrack for the film with other instrumental songs by Brian Eno, Godspeed You, Black Emperor, and other artists also being featured. And many other artists as well. And other artists as well. <laughs> uh, and boy, did he take inspiration from George A. Romero. There's Jorge all over this. We will oh, definitely. Definitely get into that in this conversation. But, okay, listeners, repent. The end is extremely fucking nigh. This is 28 Days Later. in hospital. Wake up and I'm, I'm hallucinating. I've got some bad news. 
They're infected. Infected! Potter. Infected with nuts! Oh, I shouldn't have done that. The blood. There's something in the blood. You never go anywhere alone unless you've got no choice. Hello? Two. Only travel during daylight unless you've got no choice. This really is a bad idea. You know why? It's obviously a bad idea. We have to leave now. More will be coming. They always do. They're dead, and you're gonna be next. A group of woke British animal rights activists decide the best way to protest animal cruelty is by breaking into a research facility to free some chimps from what is sure to be ghastly experimentation. They're caught by a scientist who pleads with them to not free the chimps because they're infected with rage. Much like the normal population of the world. But, but this rage isn't just some emotion that Russell Crowe experiences while driving. <laughs> this rage is highly contagious virus. Of course, a chimp is freed and attacks an activist who quickly succumbs to rage and runs amok. Amok, amok. 28 days later, oh my god, I said the thing. A very naked Jim, Killian Murphy, wakes up in a hospital bed, peeing out and disoriented. Feeling rested from his naked coma time, Jim explores the hospital and finds it deserted, as is London. Finding nothing but a lot of trash blowing around, he stumbles into a church where he is promptly attacked by a priest who clearly doesn't understand his job, as rage is a sin. During his escape, he is chased by a group of fast-moving zombie-like rage-infected people, hell-bent on eating him? He is rescued by two survivors, Selena, played by Naomi Harris, and Mark, who fill him in on what has happened. Britain has gone to shit because of the fast-spreading rage virus. The population has either been killed, infected, or evacuated. There were eventually reports of infected in New York and Paris. Worried for his parents, Jim convinces Selena and Mark to schlep all the way to his house, only to find that they've committed suicide in bed, clutching a photo of him as a child. During the night, they are attacked by infected, and Mark is wounded, prompting Selena to hack him to death with her trusty machete, lest he turn into a rage zombie himself. There's no time to mourn, though, and Selena and Jim set out yet again into barren London. They see an apartment in a high-rise with flashing Christmas lights and go to investigate, where they find Frank, played by Brendan Gleeson, and his teenage daughter Hannah, played by Megan Burns. Frank plays a military broadcast for them, promising shelter and a cure at a blockade outside of Manchester. With supplies dwindling, they drive in Frank's cab toward the broadcast. They arrive to find Manchester is a burning mess, and there are no soldiers in sight. Frank wanders off to have a private cry, but instead is infected by a drop of blood that landed randomly in his eyeball. He turns, but is dispatched by the soldiers who were cunningly hidden amongst the rubble, and led by Major Henry West, played by Christopher Cleston. They take the rest of the group to a fortified mansion where the promised safety and cure awaits. But the soldiers aren't interested in the cure for the rage. 
They want a cure for a horny. Major West takes Jim on a tour of the mansion, including the backyard where he keeps his pet zombie, Mailer. West hopes to see how long it takes Infected to starve to death. After dinner, Major West takes Jim to have a drink, leaving Selena and Hannah with the soldiers who try to dress them up in whatever prom dresses they find laying around. Major West confesses that broadcast was merely a ruse to lure women to be sex slaves and kitchen help. The men want to repopulate the world. When Jim refuses to be complicit in this plan, the soldiers attempt to kill him, but he escapes. Suddenly, the mansion is attacked by infected and the soldiers spring into action. During the kerfuffle, Jim releases Mailer, and the pair begin to pick off the horny rapist soldiers. Jim rescues Selena and Hannah, and they attempt to leave in the cab. West, however, has hidden in the back and shoots Jim. Selena throws the cab in reverse, allowing Mailer to pull West out of the back window to kill him. The three survivors drive off with Jim devastatingly wounded. 28 days later. Oh my god, I said the thing again. <laughs> Jim has recovered in a countryside cottage with Selena and Hannah. Outside, they hear a noise. One they've been waiting for. It's the plane. Full of snakes. <clears throat> <laughs> The trio run out to unfurl a large cloth banner reading, Hello! They watch the plane as the pilot spots them. The end. Would you write hello on the banner? Uh, I feel like it's like one less letter to just write help. <laughs> but, yeah, right? And then, like, I mean, maybe they're just really British and they're just being pleasant. You know what I mean? Hello! Hello! They're British, not Canadian. <laughs> You're right. No one's nicer what than are you Canadians. Thinking? <laughs> 28 Days Later was originally released in the UK and Ireland in November of 2002, and in the US on June 27th, 2003, on only 1,260 screens. Only. Only. It's a small release, I guess. Despite its limited release, the film would gross more than $10 million opening weekend, securing the number four spot at the box office. Other movies in the top ten that weekend included Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, Finding Nemo, and Too Fast, Too Furious. The film would remain in the top ten for four weeks and become a surprising sleeper success. 28 Days Later would ultimately gross more than $45 million domestically, with a worldwide total of $82 million against a modest budget of only $8 million. Danny Boyle knows how to make a movie cheap. For some reason, I felt like this movie, this movie feels around the same time as Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, maybe, or even the original. Finding Nemo seems newer than this. To me, Finding Nemo seems older. Like, I thought Finding Nemo came out, like, when I was in high school, but no. No. That was Toy Story. No. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I'm too old to remember my past. It's starting to fade away, like some horrible memory. Mm. 28 Days Later holds an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes and is certified fresh with an audience score at 85%. The site's consensus reads, kinetically directed by Danny Boyle, 28 Days Later is both a terrifying zombie movie and a sharp political allegory. On Metacritic, the film scored 73, indicating generally favorable reviews. Critics praised Boyle's direction, the cast, and the bleak subject matter of the film. Roger Ebert gave the film three out of four stars, writing a tough, smart, ingenious movie that leads its characters into situations where everything depends on their and our understanding of human nature. Eric Harrison of the Houston Chronicle called it a zombie movie to make you forget how boring and simple-minded monster movies have become, or better yet, to make you remember how good monster movies can actually be. Hmm. Dustin Thompson of the Washington Post called the film a movie that's creepy and truly suspenseful in some places unintentionally comic or plain awful in others. 
and Scott Von Doviak, writing for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, hometown newspaper, described the movie as a grim slog through mud, rain, and poorly lit corridors. Man, all of that is true. Everything these reviewers have said is true. It is. Both good and bad. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's true. Spot on, reviewers. Yeah. There's two moments in the film that, that just remain awful for me. Oh, really? Yeah. And that is the very beginning... When they're like, what is he infected with? The, you know, with the scientist or whatever. And he's oh, like, yeah. rage. rage. And I'm like, oh my God, my eyes cannot roll further back into my head. Yeah, I mean, at, well, at the time. Could you articulate as a scientist what this will do to the world a little bit faster and better, please? Rage. Stupid. Oh yeah. God. And then the second one was Brendan Gleeson's, you know, bloody eye drop. Just <laughs> random. I mean. And then the perspective of the blood, the way it was shot. Mm-hmm. You know, it had been a little bit better if he had, like, tripped on something, you know, that pulled the thing, to, the, the corpse that was hanging to, like, swing a little bit or blood drip down that way or something. But he just kind of, like, looks up trying to get the birds off of it for some reason. And then we get a perspective shot of the blood hitting his eye, which just seemed very out of place for the entire movie. That was very documentary style up until that point. Yes. It was very cinema verite yeah. up to that point, right? Yes. Anyway. And, and after that point, too. Really. It's yeah, just, it's just a brief it's moment. A little moment, island of time of of we're going to be avant garde, you know, Michael Bay here or something. And I'm just like, stop. I mean, we'll talk about some of the direction stuff. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm getting good. way ahead of us. Yeah, sorry. So for accolades, it at the Saturn Awards, it was nominated for best director and best writing, but it did actually win best horror film. At the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, it was nominated for Best Actor for Killian Murphy, Best Supporting Actress Naomi Harris, Best Supporting Actor Brendan Gleeson, Best Makeup Creature Effects, and it won Best Wide Release Film and Best Screenplay. At the Golden Schmoes, Welcome back. It was nominated for Trippiest Movie, Biggest Surprise Breakthrough Performance, and it won for Best Horror Movie. Hmm. I mean, it seems like everyone loved it that year. Mm-hmm. Bravo awarded at the 100th spot on their list of the 100 scariest movie moments in a four-episode 2004 television series. Just made the cut. Barely. The commentators explained that making the zombies move fast for the first time was a bright and effective idea. Please. Mm. In 2007, Stylus Magazine named it the second best zombie movie of all time. The film also ranked number 456 in Empire's 2008 list of the 500 greatest movies of all time. Well, that's just wrong. Mm. I can count two Romeros on my, you know, that are should be ahead of that, at least. Well, number 456 out of 500, I mean, like... No, he said it was the second best zombie movie of all time. Oh, 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 yeah. Yes, please. Bloody Disgusting ranked the film seventh in their list of the top 20 horror films of the decade with an article saying zombie movie, political allegory, humanist drama, 28 Days Later is all those things and more, a genuine work of art by a director at the top of his game. What's so amazing about the film is the way it so expertly balances scenes of white-knuckled hell-for-leather horror with moments of intimate beauty. In 2017, a poll of 150 actors, directors, writers, producers, and critics for Time Out Magazine ranked it 90, the 97th best British film ever. Yeah, there are moments of beauty. I think that little moment from American Beauty where he's showing her like the little clip of the plastic bag in the wind, mm-hmm. I think that's actually from this movie. That's right. All of London is nothing but American Beauty style yeah. trash bags and shit <laughs> floating around. Newspapers. Right. That he doesn't stop to pick up and read. The beauty of trash. <laughs> the beauty of trash. Oh my God. Maybe that should be the title of my memoir. <laughs> Yikes. 
28 Days Later left a definite impact on horror films and is credited with revitalizing the zombie subgenre along with Resident Evil. 28 Days Later was followed by other infection films such as Shaun of the Dead in 2004, Black Sheep from 2006, Planet Terror from 2007, Dead Snow from 2009, and Zombieland from 2009, as well as books such as World War Z from 2006, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies from 2009, and Warm Bodies, which I actually never saw from 2010, and zombie-themed graphic novels and television shows such as The Walking Dead. Mm. That was a lot. The zombie revival trend lasted for more than a decade after 28 Days Later before eventually declining in popularity by the late 2010s. And missing from this list, obviously, is the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Yes. And we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, a sequel, 28 Weeks Later, was released on May 11th, 2007. Danny Boyle and Alex Garland took producing roles alongside Andrew McDonald. In 2007, Danny Boyle claimed to be interested in making a third film in the series 28 months later. In 2019, Boyle was quoted as saying, Alex Garland and I have a wonderful idea for the third part. It's closer to 28 years later. At this point. At this point, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, just go further. Which is sad. Put it in space. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So let's talk about our cast. Yes. Bit, right. So this is a bunch of unknowns outside of Christopher Eccleston and Brendan Gleeson. Yep. Who were well-known character actors, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brendan Gleeson at that point, probably best known for like Braveheart. Yeah. You know, a couple of other things, at least to American audiences. Killian Murphy was fairly new and he played Jim, of course, and he's our main, you know, uh, protagonist. Naomi Harris, who I absolutely love in this as Selena. And she ended up being in Moonlight, which I didn't recognize her from. And she was uh, nominated for an Academy Award for that. Yes. As well as playing the the new Money Penny in the 007 series alongside uh, Daniel Craig for the last two or three movies. So I haven't seen those Bond movies yet, but she is excellent. You haven't seen Moonlight. Skyfall? Mm-mm. Wow. I'm behind on the Bond. Yeah. Well, it's not a, you know, no one's going to cry about that except for Skyfall. Skyfall is actually really good. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I need to go back and watch them. Especially, I mean, if they're going to have a capital F film. Really good. I think you've told me that before, too. I really need to watch that. Because I I love Naomi Harris. I think that, like you said, she is excellent in this movie. And when I see her in things, like, she's always just really good. Like, she, she commits to a fucking role. And she's believable as hell in this movie. Yeah. And uh, back to Killian Murphy, of course, he, you know, has partnered with this director a couple of times, including uh, repeating for Sunshine. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about here, especially with like Alex Garland, you know, and Danny Boyle and John Murphy and, you know, people, the filmmakers kind of behind this and the writing team. Um, you know, you can actually go and, and look at our episodes on Annihilation and you can look at our episode on Sunshine specifically because, of course, that's another team up with uh, Danny Boyle and, and Alex Garland. Garland yeah. You know, and we've we've talked about um, Danny Boyle and, and certainly Alex Garland many, many times. So if you're interested, then, you know, look at our deep dives on those topics. Yeah, for sure. Because I feel like like Alex Garland is probably one of our favorite screenwriters for sure. Until his latest release. Yeah. yeah. Which, yeah, men, not so good. No. And he directed that, too. He did. Shame on you. But his first fucking movie out the gate was Ex Machina. Which is excellent. I love that movie so much. Yes. So, but we'll, mean, we'll get into that a little bit, too. Yeah. But do you think we should talk about the elephant in the room that we've been kind of alluding to? Yes, I think we need to talk about this first. Actually. Yeah, the big zombie elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
The slow moving. (laughs) Is it a slow moving zombie elephant? No, but uh, a lot of people attribute this to the first movie with fast zombies. And that's obviously not the case. So I did a little bit of research and obviously like we'd seen return of the living dead. And I was like, uh, this is from 1985 and they're sprinting. They're like going at it. I have seen that movie many, many times. It's my comfort horror movie. Right. So if I'm feeling sad, all that sad, I watch return of the living dead. And so, you know, when 28 days later came out, and everyone that I knew that watched horror movies, like horror fans, right, were like, oh, my God, it's so new. It's so novel or whatever. Yeah. Fast moving zombies. Can you imagine? And it sparked all this debate. Like, what's better, fast zombies or slow zombies? And I'm like, none of this is new. Yeah. Like, have you people not seen Return of the Living Dead? They're running up to a fucking ambulance, you know? Like, they're not slow moving zombies in that movie. And all that's subjective. And it, it depends on what your story is, right? So I don't, I don't really have a dog in that fight. No, I mean, but I really, really like zombie movies. Right. And so like I was up for the debate part of it, you know, like which is better, fast or slow. And whatever got people talking about that was fine. Right. But I'm also I'm not quite the kind of contrarian who would be like, um, actually, there aren't even like fast zombies. But like if people were super adamant about it, I'm like, no, no, no. Let's just sit down and watch this movie real quick. You know, yeah. to show you. It, it theoretically is traced back to Nightmare City from 1980 would be the first with the with the fast zombies. But I'm sure there are other things out there that weren't necessarily zombies or maybe they were ghouls or something like that. You yeah. know what I mean? So I, I don't think even like nothing comes from nothing. Right. Well, and if you really want to like, you know, split airs with this or whatever, like, are these really zombies? I mean, are they dead? No, they're infected and slowly wasting away. Well, right? we, we don't really know. It's never really answered. Yeah, I guess that's true. They can really they starve to death? It doesn't seem like they can. It seems like they get weaker, maybe. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, like they can be fa- the fast zombies, but are they even really zombies? Maybe the next movie will answer that for us because it's been about twenty years since I've seen that one too. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen. Well, I guess it hasn't been twenty years since it's been out, but it feels like it. No, it hasn't. It yeah. does feel like it. it I does. think I've only seen that the one time too. Yeah, but yeah, anyway, we're getting ahead. Yeah, but this movie is twenty-one years old now. We're 22 years old. Ah, <laughs> God damn it. This came out after I graduated high school. <laughs> Fuck me. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I, I really like the the slow like inevitability of the slow zombies, you mm-hmm. know, like how they can still manage to corner you and everything else because it's just that slow and steady kind of wins the race kind of thing towards like that inevitable buildup versus the fast zombies has like a, a visceral horror that the other doesn't have as much. You know, and so they both have really, really big positive sides, I think. And yeah. I think there's an argument to be had for whichever, as long as it serves the story. Right. I mean, and as much as I like, like picking favorites on things, you know, like I, when it comes to zombies, I like, I like them both. You know what I mean? I'm okay with the fast zombies because that adds something different to the terror that you feel. Right. Um, it's a different kind of inevitability that you feel with, with slow zombies, yeah. you know, like you can feel confident, like I'm going to get away, I'm going to get away. And then all of a sudden, like all the slow zombies are there around you and you have nowhere to fucking go. But I mean, either way, they're terrifying. So yeah. I, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. Yes. So another thing that we can discuss is like, was there actually a dearth of zombie films before this? And I looked um, for, you know, on lists by year of zombie films and it doesn't seem like there was a dearth, but there was a dearth of well-known or mainstream or successful zombie films. Right. And so like the only recognizable ones that I can see from my, you know, and I'm not, you know, I don't have the oeuvre that you do Mm. for zombie films, but the only recognizable ones that I can see from before this really 
are Return of the Living Dead 3 and Dead Alive from 1993 and 1992, respectively. And before that, Night of the Living Dead remake from 1990 from Tom Savini. Right. And so there I would have to say for a good 10 years or so, there was not any kind of pop hit or success of a zombie film. There wasn't. There certainly was a dearth of zombie movies in the 90s, which is why when they popped up, I was really excited to see and watch them. Right. Things like Return. I I watched Return of the Living Dead 3 quite a bit, you know? Yeah. And it was a really weird entry into that series. Yeah. Is that the one with all like the fucking piercings and shit? Yeah. Like, I remember seeing that and freaked me out. Like she was a really um, like sentient zombie or whatever. Like she was going after her and like modifying her body and stuff like that. It was an odd movie. Yeah. But that's what we got mostly in the 90s. It was like direct to video kind of stuff. The Night of the Living Dead remake from 1990 was kind of like the last really, really big one. Because that played in the theaters and like sparked a lot of debate, at least, you know, years later and it's released when I would talk about it with people as to why it even needed to be made. And right? maybe they were relegated to monsters of the week on things like Buffy or other shows like, you know, goosebumps or are you for the dark or things like that or anthologies even. Mm-hmm. But as far as like a dedicated, like, you know, popcorn pop hit, you know, piece of film, like there was nothing really in the 10 years prior to this. No, there really wasn't. I think like the only times that we would see zombies at least more often would be on like episodes of Tales in the Crypt yeah. or something like that. So um, there was, they were, they were missed. Right. But this movie um, along with like resident evil, like we had said earlier, really like opened up the zombie subgenre, and it seemed like we were flooded with zombie movies after this, they became a big, cultural moment yeah. in the early 2000s that was weird because i was thinking it was like maybe this actually like inspired a little bit of resident evil or resident evil inspired this a little bit but actually they came out around the same time mm-hmm. which was kind of fascinating to me because i would i, I don't want to credit this movie and this movie alone because resident evil was good i still like that movie yeah and it was it was incredibly popular it made a lot of money yeah. yeah i mean like people people went to go see that movie um i think that i think this this one was talked about differently than resident evil. I think, I think people, even non horror fans and critics like took this movie very seriously. It's like alien versus alien uh, aliens, right? It's like movie versus film. Exactly. Right. And that's exactly the type of thing. Resident evil is the big popcorn movie. And this is, you know, the film. And I mean, like clearly as we kind of hinted at in the intro, like, I feel like this movie was very, very heavily influenced by all of Romero's works. Oh, yeah. I feel like there are, there are moments in this movie that you could, because I was watching it and I was like, oh, that's that's like a moment straight out of Night of the Living Dead. You know what I mean? Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day, and Day of, of the, the Dead. Dead. Like, they're all there. And yep. he does them in order. Like, the start of this movie, it's very Night of the Living Dead. And then it gets into very Dawn of the Dead, especially they, they when go they go shopping. shopping. Yep. Yeah. And then, and then things happen and then the military shows up and they have a fucking zombie in chains and I'm like day of the dead. So, I mean, I feel like Danny Boyle really paid homage to Romero in this movie. Hugely borderline, even just like stealing moments, exact moments and plot and stuff like that. Well, he was very, I think beats. Yeah, for yeah. sure. There were definitely beats that were taken, but he lovingly and very publicly attributed that, that to Romero. Oh yeah, Danny Boyle is the kind of filmmaker that will tell you, you know. Well, Alex like, Garland, because he wrote yeah, it, you know, right. is, is you know. So they both did it, 
you know, but Danny Boyle is obviously a very, very talented filmmaker, you know, you know, without regard to, to Romero. I'm sure that we talked about Danny Boyle a lot in our conversation on Sunshine. So, I mean, I won't I won't repeat too much, but. Well, I just want to remind people, like he did Transpotting. He kind of hit uh-huh. that out of the park and became a thing, you know, and then he started working with Alex Garland, who wrote The Beach, right? Mm-hmm. And he directed the, the Beach. And then they went on to do this. And then Sunshine. You know, and then he went on, I guess, they, like, I don't know that they worked together again um, since Sunshine, but uh, he went on to direct like Slumdog Millionaire, 127 Hours, Yesterday, which I still haven't seen, but I want to. Yes, it is good. And of course, Alex Garland, of course, did Sunshine 28 weeks later. Uh-huh. Um, and then he did Dread, which he kind of ghost directed, I believe. And I think we have a Patreon episode about Dread. We do. And then he went on to uh, write and direct Ex Machina as his first official directorial debut. And then went on to do Annihilation, which is outstanding. Ugh. And then Men, which is not great. Nope, not. So, oh. I mean, I'm ready for his next movie. I feel like he needs to redeem himself a little bit. But this particular movie, I feel, is is very, very well made. It's very, very good. Yeah. And it, it changed. I mean, like zombie movies, at least from a Romero's perspective, because we've already talked about that entire series of movies. Um, they have moments of like melancholy and sadness and, and definite themes about like people being the worst enemy as opposed to the zombies. But I feel like after 28 days later, that is what zombie movies became. They became kind of depressing, very, very, very bleak. Well, so. I don't know, because that's from Romero, too. Like, that's a very Romero thing to do with a zombie film is to do the social commentary. Right. Yeah. And so you have your zombie films that don't have that social commentary as much like, you know, that are just fun zombie movies like Return of the Living Dead. And that's what I was getting at. I mean, like, so Romero made these movies and then most of the zombie movies after that were not not serious. You know what I mean? They're like silly, good horror fun. But once this movie came out, I feel like every zombie movie that I saw after that had a very serious tone to it. You know what I mean? And I think most importantly, that serious tone is carried in the walking dead, like that TV series. Oh yeah. Like all of that was very bleak and very depressing. Wet Grinch salad zombies for, for a thousand and one seasons, you know? So I feel like, again, just like we talked about last month, we talked about the progression of movies from like Heather's to, um, the rest that we talked about <laughs> craft. Thank you. We talked of Heather's to the craft to Jennifer's body, right? Yeah. This is the exact same thing here. You could literally trace it from like Romero to Boyle to the walking dead, right? Like all of it sort of like fits. Yeah. And clearly, clearly the Dawn of the dead remake from 2004 may not have happened if we didn't have 28 days later. Yeah. I feel, I think that's true. Uh, you can obviously see the, the, the through line, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's easy. It doesn't take much work. No, it's, it's <laughs> obvious. <laughs> uh, another filmmaker or at least part of the making of this film that I want to talk about was John Murphy, uh, who did the music and he's kind of like, um, you know, he's kind of like Danny Boyle's muse in a way because he's worked out with him on sunshine as well. Mm-hmm. Of course he went on to do like kick-ass suicide squad guardians of the galaxy volume three, which still hasn't come out. Um, and he, his work always kind of reminds me of like a more folky, low-key Clint Mansell, who's of course Darren o- Aronofsky's muse, who did like Requiem for a Dream and The Fountain and Noah, you know. And so, then um, that in fact, that's what I thought. You know, I was like, is this Clint Mansell? And I was like, oh yeah, like this is the John Murphy and uh, the soundtrack for this as well as Sunshine is extremely amazing. 
I love the score in this movie. Yeah. I think it's great. The main theme doesn't even pick up until like the the last third of the film, Mm -hmm. really. And there are moments like, I mean, it, it seems sparse, but this score like ramps up in all the places that it needs to, right? Like a good score should. But, um... When it does, it's it's incredibly noticeable. And I'm not always someone who recognizes music or score from movies. I have to listen to it separately to, to usually appreciate it. But yeah. this is noticeable and excellent to me. I, I've always loved this score. In yeah. fact, if we ever did another top 10, like a second top 10 scores, I feel like this would be in that list. It could be. So should we make... So we talk about the making of a little bit? Yeah. Tell me about it. So obviously this is a low budget, as we kind of mentioned. Mm-hmm. $8 million. $8 million. And so, you know, it's not, I, would, I don't want to say the shoestring, but it's obviously low enough that it made a gobbledygillion dollars on top of it, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, I kind of want to talk about part of that low budget. And part of it was kind of baked in because they didn't actually film this. Okay. This is one of the first digitally mainstream movies, right? But they chose to shoot it on a Canon XL1 digital camera. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I had that camera. Really? Yeah. After film school, I actually picked up a Canon XL1S. So actually a slightly better version. And these cameras are about $3,000. And so I think they had about six of them. And so they picked up six of these cameras and they could just, well, they're just filming on mini DV, which was not even, it was, it was like 720p <laughs> quality, like not even, not even HD at all. Why looks it? You know, but there were so many options on that camera. I think Steven Soderbergh filmed a, a whole a whole movie on one of those because it's, the camera is still like something you could hold on your on your shoulder. You could hook up like Steadicam to it. You could put a bunch of interesting lenses on it mm-hmm. because this film is, you know, shot very grainy and kind of low res, obviously, because it's filmed on mini DV. But it's done with a, a cool camera where you can do a lot of interesting things with shutter speed. And you can attach different lenses and things like that. Meanwhile, I don't want to say that it's one of the first mainstream because meanwhile, I think um, Star Wars movies, I think after Phantom Menace, I think Phantom Menace might have been filmed in 35 millimeter. But like in 2002 and 2003, I think the second two of that that second trilogy were filmed on the earliest red cameras, which were like filming at, you know, digitally filming at like 1080p or something like that. Yeah, I wouldn't call this the first mainstream movie to be shot that way. I feel like movies were being shot digitally before this. A lot of people mistakenly think this was shot on video, like VHS tape. (laughs) Well, because it kind of looks like it in, in parts, but not for the entire movie. Like the entire movie isn't grainy. No, only the very end is not grainy. Right. And that's for a different reason. Well, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting because like half this movie, I'm like, fuck you for using this stupid camera because it looks like shit and I can't tell what's going on. And the other half, I'm like, oh my God, this is working so well. Like it it, like really (laughs) makes like cinema verite and I'm like, feel like I'm there. And, you know, they really wanted to shoot it like they were also survivors too. You know what I mean? And they were like filming it. And so they really just like added to it. And so I, I, you know, at the beginning of the film, I was like, you, you fucking contrarian piece of shit. And then by the end, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> so I don't know where. It's how quickly you change your tune. Yeah. This is the documentary style zombie movie Romero only wishes he made. Yeah. So I don't know. Like they, I was like, if you're going to try and do it this way, then why did you use such wide angle lenses and such interesting camera movements? If you're trying to make it look like it's like very documentary style. And most of the time it is, but then we get those blood drop things. And then, you know, we get these ultra wide angle lenses that couldn't possibly be done, you know? 
I feel like sometimes Danny Boyle just can't help himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he has to add those things into his movies. Cause even a movie like Slumdog Millionaire, where you, you think you wouldn't be seeing like stylized moments like that, they're present in that movie. Yeah. You know, I mean, he won the Oscar for that movie. Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure that that movie should have won Best Picture, but that's a different argument. We're not even talking about that. I but. almost think they, they wanted to make their own, uh, Night of the Living Dead with this budget, like almost purposefully Mm -hmm. because uh, they couldn't even pay the extras, which is a very Romero thing to do. Right. You know, getting a bunch of college students to volunteer, you know? And so the only thing they were able to give them was tea, you know? (laughs) Well, I mean, they're British. And so like that whole scene in the, uh, the church where they needed all those bodies, those were all just college student volunteers. Can I tell you how fucking scared I was at that moment? Like I was watching this and I I hadn't seen this movie. I've seen this maybe like maybe two or three times. Right. And I had forgotten a lot of it because it's been a while. And when he walks into that church, I was like, oh, God, all those people died in the church or whatever. And then when one like pops its head up real quick, I like shrieked. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, because you're doing like an it follows thing. You're like looking at the crowd, like to see like, you mm-hmm. know, all those bodies to see if anything's moving. You know what I mean? And then it's like it's some sort of like Alfred Hitchcock birds moment. You know what I mean? Like one head pops up, then another one pops up. And I was like, get the fuck out of that church. I was just like on the edge of my seat. And then he goes to investigate a door, someone banging on a door. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, dumb. (laughs) I am just like, this is ridiculous. But I don't know. Like this movie can be like simultaneously incredibly boring sometimes and then just like switch to like this frenetic kind of horror right yeah like going back to that as well as like that cinema verite style right like it would be way more realistic uh if he had woken up in that hospital was walking down the streets and saw hordes of fucking bodies which would be much more realistic especially considering uh that they were in downtown london you know and he was in a hospital and everything else but they made a conscious decision instead of going like ultra realism with that they wanted the zombies to be a slow reveal for him the character and in essence the audience and so nary a fucking body to be seen it is almost exactly the same in the opening scenes of the walking dead series right almost like shot for shot like that main character uh, wakes up in a hospital from a coma and he's walking around a deserted hospital in a deserted city. And it's, it takes a minute for him to see a fucking zombie. He finally gets to the park and sees the blonde on the ground or whatever. Yeah. That little girl. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, like it's a, it's a long buildup to see zombies in a movie that we know a movie or TV series that we know is about zombies, Yeah, you know, but I think it's effective in both cases. And speaking of effective, the SFX, the special effects and gore in this movie were very, very well done. And I think part of that is because of the low resolution camera that they're using. They could be using ketchup and we wouldn't know. We wouldn't be able to tell. Right. But it makes it it makes it look really good. I feel like these these zombies or these infected people, whatever you want to call them, look neat. You know what I mean? I mean, and there's a reason why this movie was nominated for that Saturn Award for this. I feel like the makeup is excellent. But to your point, they had good made up bodies to look like corpses. They had good um, fake corpses. In fact, they had like a there's one anecdote that they uh, had one of the the pits, the body pits or whatever. And they were going to come back and shoot it the next day. And some like hairdresser came by and like wrecked her car when she saw it and called the police. Oh, Jesus Christ, else. it's hilarious. Because I would do that shit. I'd probably like stop and look at it. But yeah. or she'd be like, I need to fix this person's hair if it's just going to be laying here. What I find the most gnarly in this movie and every time that I watch it is when one of the rage zombies are like 
and this happens more than once, or hovering over someone's head. It's like vomiting blood into yeah. their face and mouth. Like it's just so fucking gross it's to so me. So gross. And they continue to vomit, even like when it's not on people. Like <laughs> Right. They're just like spitting blood everywhere, like swirling around, yeah. vomiting on a dance floor. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> like we've all been there. Crazy Gaijin. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God he doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, but yeah, I think that's really fucking gross, but very effective, right? Because that they they make some choices. In this movie. Yeah, it's not the first movie to have fast zombies, but I don't remember a movie with zombies like vomiting into people's faces. You know what I mean? Yeah, they they I mean they're really leaning into the pandemic, like the the um the sickness. They're really getting down with the sickness. <laughs> get up, come on, get down with the sickness. <laughs> In this movie? Yes. Uh yes, very much. It's I mean it's it's more about the the virus than than the actual zombies themselves right yeah so yeah so uh another thing that i thought was really interesting about how this movie was made is that it was shot almost entirely in order which really? of course helps all the actors it helps the actors well every scene is basically in a different location it's true easy to do that you know so they can just like start out and then the characters are kind of together in a in a normal way so all the actors are there at the same time and then when they have one dies you know they're out and so it's like starts with Killian Murphy and then it starts with those other actors and then just continues, you know, and so they're able to kind of do that because you're not just going back and forth to the locations to see old characters again, you know what I mean? Like a normal movie. So it's very rare that this happens. And I think it's really cool that they were able to do that. You're right. I don't think I've ever thought about that. This movie's kind of a journey. Yes. Right. Like yeah, it literally linear. is. Yeah. Point A to point B linear in story, but also linear in like motion. It's like from place to place to place. I've God, I've never thought about that. Yeah. And so they're really, really able to do that. With one exception, they had to do some like pickups here and there, you know, but mm-hmm. that's normal. But the the bulk of the movie, like 95% of the movie was done completely in order, which is really cool. I really, really love the shots of deserted London, too. I mean, I mean it's it's nothing new, right? We've seen that. We've seen that in Romero movies, you mm-hmm. know, but I, I feel like it's really, really well done. And I think when you when you pair like the character that of Jim, right. And what he is probably feeling in that moment, like super confused and scared and like the shots are really neat. Right. It just looks amazing. All that trash floating around or whatnot. There's such detail going on. Like he walks by that, that where all those bills are posted, right. All those posters are posted and there's like one bloody handprint, right. That he just didn't even notice. Right. He just walks right by it. But we see all these details. And at the same time, the score is like ramping up at that moment. Just creates a really effective, scene in a movie where you feel like you're actually part of it it's well paced yes and i don't remember it being so well paced like i didn't like this movie as much as i didn't do now i completely agree i i feel like when this came out everybody was like oh my god it's so good it's so good and i watched it and i was like it's okay you know like it was it's depressing and i thought it was depressing and slow one thing that's really depressing is that i remember thinking that, oh my God, that was my favorite character. Why did that old man die? And I don't today, when I watch this, I'm like, Brendan Gleeson, like I'm way closer to his age and I don't think of him as old at all. I think of him as like a typical dad or something. Yes. And then what I remember thinking when I first watched this, not knowing it was Brendan Gleeson, mm-hmm. you know, just thinking, oh, that old man. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> this is what happens when it's you like, get older. The younger characters don't seem like they were any older or younger to me. Nope. But the older characters seem like they're much, you know. This is how aging works. And so it's like next time we're around a bunch of like teenagers or 20 year olds or something like we're the old people and we don't even think that we don't even realize that they view us that way. Oh my. Yeah. I choose not to think about that. Sometimes. Even though we're barely into our forties and I'll Brendan Gleeson was probably in his early fifties or something by then. I don't know if that old, maybe, maybe, maybe like late forties. Yeah. I don't know. Um, 
but yeah oh god i hate it i hate it when <laughs> when i'm at work because i i work with a lot of young people and i'm like do they think i'm old you know <laughs> like i hate to think that shit because i fucking am i'm like i'm 20 years older than a lot of these people as you clutch your knee and scream in pain <laughs> I know, <right>? <laughs> what's wrong arthritis <laughs> <laughs> So there was a couple of different endings for this movie. Oh, really? I didn't know this. Yeah. So the first one is like uh, they go to the hospital and Jim dies of his gunshot wounds. Uh, And then there's another one where he actually wakes up and it was all a dream. Oh, Christ. And then this one was just a storyboard. But um, when Frank, of course, the quote unquote old man (laughs) uh, is not shot by the soldiers, he's tied up. And then they go and they eventually find a research station and then they try to do like a, some sort of blood transfusion from Jim and it ends with like, you know, amb- ambiguous whether Frank is lives or not or whatever. That's stupid. So that's weird. And then I think the original theatrical, you know, ends at that car crash moment where that fr- kind of freeze frames when they they hit the the gate when they're escaping the, the soldier's mansion. I think I always remember the hello part. But... No, no, no. I mean, I know. Um, but this is like before test audiences. Oh, okay. I'm okay, talking okay. about. And then I think there was, a, but there's some anecdotes where it was actually they go to the hospital and then like he ends up living, and then they walk out of the hospital like with a kind of a hopeful thing. But I think it was actually the end of that that they hit the gate, and so test audiences in the studio hated it, but they were so impressed with the rest of the movie they gave them extra money to go back and film a whole another ending, and that's the ending that we have today. That is a lot more hopeful. Uh, so let's talk about that for a minute. Then if the movie ended at the car crash, if that's what we were given, how would you feel about that? As opposed to the, oh, end that we have fucking hated it. Agreed. hundred percent. It doesn't wrap up anything. Like the mist has a better ending than that. So oh, I love the ending of the mist. I mean, like I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay, okay with, with the wet Grinch salad ending, but yes. nothing, but as long as it kind of wraps up the, the arc, you know right. what I mean? Like, don't leave me hanging with these characters. You so know what it I mean? makes, makes me think it must've been the hospital, them taking him to the hospital and having that little montage or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then either him dying or walking out. And that must've been the kind of the wet Grinch, you know, but the, obviously they, they didn't like it. And they were like, you can end this better, like go back. And I don't know if they did it on purpose or had some trouble getting back those cameras or they had sold them already, but they filmed it on 35 millimeter, the ending, everything and, with them in the cabin or whatever at the end and setting up the sign. It's all beautiful. 35 millimeter. Yep. It looks, it looks expensive and it looks shot on so actual film. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. There's a huge difference. Yeah. It's more sweeping. It's more grand. It's, I, we need, we need that ending. We need that hopeful ending because this movie has zero hope in it. Yeah. From like start to finish. Yeah. There's none. And, and like we said, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with things being sad start to finish. Right. But there's just so much of it in this movie, especially at the end when they get to like the mansions and dealing with the army, like it gets incredibly real from a human level. Um, We need, we need something happy at the end of this movie. And it's, still ambiguous right we get that aerial shot so we know that the pilot has seen them unfurl the hello but i mean the rest of it is left up to question and that's that's good we can still have a questionable ending yeah but at least it's ending on something that's a little bit more hopeful yeah so let's talk about some of the themes okay speaking of hopeful um obviously there's a theme of the pandemic which is a slightly different not altogether original but different take on the zombie thing right like the whole zombie thing is always kind of a pandemic right mm-hmm. but this really hits to the the sickness of it right i think and obviously after living through you know the pandy hmm. <laughs> my god i feel like this movie hits me different now it does it really does and i feel like i feel like during the height of the pandy people thought the same thing i feel like this movie gained popularity 
during that time. At least I saw people talking about it. But they were also talking about all these other like movies like Contagion and stuff like that. Yeah, Contagion. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. And so, um, and even like fucking Outbreak and stuff. I mean, people were watching those movies because it seemed novel. I love Outbreak. Um, I I do too. It's such I, need a, to, I need to watch Contagion again though because that was really good. Contagion is an excellent movie. I just fucking love it. I yeah. own that movie. Um, so yeah, I, it really does feel different watching it because I was watching this now and I was just like, my god, like obviously we didn't live through something as horrific as zombies and shit like that, or people getting infected with something and running amok, but when he's walking through a deserted London, I'm like, Oh, like I can, I can see this now happening in real life. When before the pandy, I'm like fiction, this is fiction. And I'm like, Nope. Are we that far away from waking up in a hospital and being like, where everybody at? I don't know, but there's, there's a lot in this movie. And I, I, I like that they took that route and made made the the zombie the zombification a little bit more of a sickness, right? That alone was kind of novel. Well, I just remember like seeing like the, it feels more realistic in a way. You know, we had the the backup of bodies. Mm-hmm. We had you know you know just weird shit like the empty streets, and we had you know dolphins swimming in fucking Venice, you know, yeah. <laughs> like you know whales and shit, and you know New York harbor or whatever and animals reclaiming the earth yeah you know and we've seen stuff like that in like i am legend and you know a lot of other things and so it's it's was kind of interesting to see kind of like especially you know all of those those like names and where are they after like these disasters and stuff and we're going to get into that a little bit too because this movie was shot at a very interesting time in world politics and events Yes, it was. Are these are those fun facts? Yes. Okay, good. Well, quote unquote fun. Yeah, and so uh, like any good you know Romero style zombie film, this has its you know societal collapse and its societal microcosms. Uh, I still feel like the best microcosm and more obviously microcosm is The Mist. And that's not a zombie film, um, but I, I feel like this one really really kind of leans into adult horror. Oh yeah, especially by the end with oh, toxic yeah. masculinity. Right. In a way that Day of the Dead did not. And, uh, you know, it's just it's it's weird because you always have to like, especially now with modern zombie films, you always have to worry about like, here's the zombies over here. But then here's all these like fucking entitled toxic masculine, you know, masculine element that take it upon themselves to basically dictate, you know, and then without any kind of overarching moral compass, it all kind of goes out the window. And so it's like you're you're equally kind of worried, if not more so, about the Mad Max element of society than you are just like a fucking zombies. Uh, another movie that just makes me think of a little bit is Aliens, right? Where it's like you're thinking about the aliens, but they're not fucking each other over for a paycheck. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Ripley said, you know, and so there's that other element that's kind of, you know, showing like there's a level of horror that is very, very unique to just the situation that we find ourselves in, you know, in post-apocalypse scenarios that is, that can't really even be touched by the, whatever zombies or monsters are out there. No. And I, I feel like that's, that's where the zombie sub genre works, especially in a more modern sense. Right. Well, even like that, I think like Romero sort of, he did this too. A lot of, a lot of his movies, are about the collapse of society, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And he has his microcosms, but he shows things on a grand scale, similar to what Boyle does in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. But then when we move on to things like The Walking Dead, I feel like they have they have the space to really show, you know, what society has collapsed to, and they don't in that show. It's it's all about the microcosm of the group and their journey. Yeah, right? there's a bunch of uh, the show starts with a bunch of really really rigid like archetypes. Yes. And they, they set up those characters, right? And um, they set those characters up and then kill them, you know, like sometimes um, right away. Uh, you know, as soon as they start growing out of their archetype, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> and as that show progressed, I mean, like, that's what it became about. It really was less and less about the zombies and more about, you know, the evil that men do. And that's just good writing. It's like as soon as we see the softer side of Sears, it gets bankrupt, you know, that's yeah. just life. <laughs> but... Like this movie and that TV show is full of toxic masculinity, obviously. I mean, we have characters like Negan and The Walking Dead. And in this movie, we have a whole fucking like core of, you know, military guys. And whenever they get to that that mansion, like, you know, that something nefarious is going to be happening anyway. I have a penis and a gun. Therefore, I am basically God and can dictate the world to everyone else. And there's no one else to stop me. You know, I, I think I think that's what makes like this kind of like toxic masculinity moment in movies like this, like so frightening is that people who who feel like they're in control already, if they, they felt like they were in control when there was society and when there's literally no one to tell them to stop doing what they're doing. And the one person who's there who could do that, that they might listen to is like, no, I just promised them women. You know, and shit yeah. like that. Like, there's no escaping it. And that's truly frightening for both Selena and Hannah. You know what I mean? There's literally nothing they could do in that situation. Although, like, Selena tries and she's kind of a badass in this movie. But if there's too many, she can't do anything about it. And that that's that's really fucking scary in this movie. I made a decision after watching this and I decided if there's ever any kind of like, you know, post pandy <laughs> apocalyptic scenario where there's like a recording going on don't never follow a recording if it's a live person like and they're talking about what the day is like what the situation is and it's changing day to day you know like that's a human like you know we understand like more and more context versus like a recorded message that just promises like everything yeah the shelter and a cure yeah they do the same thing in the walking dead they steal this completely like people are following you know a recorded message and signs they see to get to terminus right it's the exact same storyline and of course you know in that tv show when they get to terminus they're cannibals you know i mean like i don't know like as soon as they get picked up by those soldiers the first time i saw this movie i was like oh they're no good you know what i mean like clearly they pick those ugly fucking dresses to put on them too. Right? This is like, see, to- toxic masculine men, they don't know how to shop for women. Like, just stay out of those relationships, ladies. You could do better. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I would, if I saw, like, it depends, you know, like if there was still some, like, infrastructure, governmental infrastructure to the military, I would trust that infrastructure. If it was, like, small ragtab bands, you know, like, a la, like, Night of the Living Dead or something like that, I'm like, run fast the other way towards the zombies. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's you know? a much better way to die. Also, I feel I still feel like I like my theory of, like, you know, eventually bullets run out. So, you know, get your bat, get your sword, get your machete, you know, and I feel like that'll last a lot longer. Of course. You know, so... Unless you learn how to make bullets. Yeah, and I had this debate with my friend Sam, who is also a patron. Yep. And uh, he says it's very easy to make bullets, and I would just be fucking 
you know, road pizza or something. <laughs> if I didn't, if I didn't get on board the the gun train. So we need to learn how to make bullets. I've never once shot a gun, but if we're going to get ready for anything post pandy, I'm not prepared. So, I mean, I'm going to have to hide behind you no, or stay. I'm apparently. Like, do you pick a machete, B baseball bat, C gun, D bottle of Valium. <laughs> I take the Valium, Valium. <laughs> every day. I'm like, I need a nap. Y'all wake me up when the bullets are ready. <laughs> this is my contribution to you. I'm just going to stay out of the Actually, way. don't. Just wake me up when the bullets are ready and the zombies are dead with them. That's right. <laughs> wake me up after you've killed all the zombies. Wake me up when the zombies end. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Lay these fun facts on me because this is not a fun movie. So tell me, tell me how fun these facts are. They are not fun. They are wet Grinch salad facts. Okay. Just yeah. like the movie is. So Alex Garland and Danny Boyle did a great deal of research into social unrest, drawing ideas from things that happened in Rwanda and Sierra Leone, such as piling up bodies inside churches, but drew the line at using any actual footage from such incidents in the opening montage, although a lot of that is from Sierra Leone. All footage featuring dead bodies and desecration of bodies were faked. Yeah, I remember when that was going on. So Danny Boyle and Naomi Harris developed a backstory to explain Selena's hard-nosed, ruthlessly pragmatic outlook. Apparently, Selena was forced to kill her infected mother and father to save her baby brother, only to discover that her brother was also infected. Well, I'm glad that they didn't, like, say that anywhere in the movie, because that's horribly depressing. Yep. Speaking of which, the scene where Jim and Selena celebrate with Frank and Hannah with, you know, the creme de mint, or however the fuck they... Creme de Mont. Creme de Mont. <laughs> was shot on September 11th, 2001. Oh, God. Danny Boyle said it felt extremely strange to shoot a celebratory scene, the only one in the whole fucking movie, on that particular day. Oh, Jesus. Right. So the shot of the notice board at Piccadilly Circus with the missing persons flyers caused some controversy when the film was first released because some said it was insensitive to what happened in New York after the 9-11 attacks. So the film was shot prior to 9-11, although it was released afterwards. And Danny Boyle said he uh, based the shot on a photograph he saw from an earthquake in China. And he also said that if he'd made the movie after the 9-11 attacks, he wouldn't have shot that scene. I think that that it's okay to have that scene in that movie. I I mean, but also there's been some time. I think it's important to show it. Like it it, it was like if you remember Battlestar Galactica, Mm -hmm. right, which is very post-apocalyptic, but sci-fi and a futurist. And they they return to that wall every like a couple times every season where there's just pictures of everyone and they're putting people's new pictures up that have died, you know. And at first it was a have you found them and then it, soon it kind of transitioned to a memorial wall for them all of them being dead. That's right. You know, and so I think it's important to show that human side and to show the scale of loss. I mean, and I and I agree. I, I feel like because we've, we've already talked about this particular moment, right? I, I find that moment in this movie and that shot to be striking, right? For those reasons. And just for the detail that they put into it, like that bloody handprint. You know, yeah. I feel well, there's like a lot of needed. like little Easter eggs that he just, like, he picks up a fucking newspaper that explains the whole thing. And is like, uh, and throws it away. I know. I mean, he's so mad. What's going on? Just tell me what's going on. Read a fucking newspaper. There asshole. are newspapers literally blowing around <laughs> everywhere in this movie. And he's just like, oh my Lord. Is like looking around what's Piccadilly. Happening? Look, he's I'm a like, fucking bicycle courier, right? He's not a fucking rocket scientist. Yeah. But at the time, print wasn't, 
wasn't as dead as it is now, you know? <laughs> I mean, like, he would understand what a fucking newspaper is. I deliver these. I'm not going to read it. <laughs> Don't stare so amazed. Pick up that newspaper. I mean, if it blew directly in his face or something like that, it couldn't have been any better. Some sort of fucking Karen Walker. I don't read. I'm read too. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's one of those, those things to have the slow reveal, right? You know, where obviously he should have been walking in piles of bodies, you know, and car crashes and the, you know, and said, there's just one car sitting there that he sets the alarm. Yeah. So I think this, the scene at the end of resident evil is actually a little bit more realistic because there's cars everywhere. There's fires, you know, there's bodies, there's people running around, you know, things like that. Maybe not the people running around, but you'd see, you know, the cars, you know, and everything else, but they shot this in London, you know, but, but you know, in the pre-dawn hours and, and whatever they could do with closed streets. And right. so of course they, they didn't have the budget to show like a 50 million destroyed cars and, and and bodies across all of these things because i would expect london to look a little bit more like what manchester would have looked like but we we don't get to see up close we just get to see sort of like at at length um or distance away manchester on fire right yeah. but that that's what an apocalypse looks like shit going to hell not newspapers blowing around and tumbleweeds and shit so the design for the symptoms of rage was actually based on Ebola, mm. which is, you know, communicable in all primates, including humans, and is transmitted through the blood. Ebola is a hemorrhagic fever, which leads to a rash, red eyes, and both internal and external bleeding. Indeed, in 28 Days Later, the aftermath, a graphic novel set between 28 Days Later and 28 Weeks Later from 2007, it is explained that the Ebola virus was being used by the scientists as a carrier for the inhibitor, which mutated into rage. That's a lot of exposition. Okay. But. Well, they left that out. In the movie, thank God. Because the the woke, <laughs> the woke pirates weren't interested in science. <laughs> the woke pirates. Arg. Set that chimp free. <laughs> Matey. Well, I'll make you walk the plate, scientist. <laughs> it's rage. It reminds me of, you know, those fucking scientists and, uh, Futurama, wherever they wake up from the, the cryogenic sleep, and it's like, welcome to the world of tomorrow. When, whatever. I don't know why I just thought about that. <laughs> the fuck is wrong with my brain? So, Stephen King is a huge fan of the movie, he and is. paraphrases one of Selena's lines in his novel, Dr. Sleep. Quote, he needs us more than we need him. I don't know that this is an actual good anecdote because I feel like it's a common phrase. Yeah, it's not. I, I feel like anytime that there are people getting, you know, brought together in pandy-like situations, someone's going to say something like that. But, I mean, Stephen King does like this movie a lot. He does. He does. He does. He do. And finally, the word fuck is used 61 times in this movie. <laughs> well, that's a fun fact. <laughs> I thought I'd end with a good one. Thank you. A mildly amusing one. I feel like people in Britain say the word fuck a lot anyway. So... You fucking what? I know. <laughs> bruv. Um, <laughs> fuck you, bruv. I can't do it. Um, I know we have a lot of like pe- listeners in the UK, so, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, so I am like... so gun-shy to like do that accent ever again as to not offend you all, so I shan't. They're I shan't all deleting our podcast. I know, they're like, now. fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Cunt, fuck you. <laughs> Send us a voicemail at 972-666-7733 and uh, let us know how it's supposed to be said. That's right, please. We'll play them all. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> That's it. There's my offensiveness. Okay, yes, those were mostly wet, wet grid salad facts, but good nonetheless. Interesting conversation. 
But we have to ask some questions about 28 Days Later, like we do about every movie we deep dive into. And we will start with the obvious. Is this a horror movie? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. All over the place. Yeah. It's a lot of other things, too. It's a bukkake of horror. It's a bukkake of horror. It is a bukkake of blood vomit all up in the face. Uh, clearly, it's a horror movie, but I, I feel like, again, just like in any zombie film conversation, the scarier things are not the monsters so much. Were you scared while watching 28 Days Later? Yeah, actually. A couple times. Mm-hmm. There's a couple really interesting scenes that like you it's not like a typical you're waiting for something to jump out you know it is that but it's a little bit more like the zombie in the window at night still gets me there's a whole scene of of course the ticking clock is in there it's like they're they're doing all the tropes you know when they're in the tunnel yep yep changing the tire Mm -hmm. you know it's like well we don't want the the car to have like a starting problem so we're gonna just have them change a tire and then all the rats that are actually running from this you know and it's like one after the next you know it's just like and they're hanging a lantern on it in the script they're like this is a horrible fucking place let's not do this you know and so it all works you know because of that they're using all those tropes and they're using them excellently. I completely agree with you. I mean, like I'm watching this and that's a, that particular scene in the tunnel is very fucking intense. And, but all of it is like by the numbers, like leading up to it. And, you know, like even being someone who has watched horror for, you know, 40 years of his life, I'm like, I realize that something is coming, you know what I mean? But it is still frightening. And it just, it means that there's a good screenwriter and a good filmmaker sort of behind this. Yeah. Right. And that, cause in, in other hands, it wouldn't have been so intense or frightening. I mean, if you think about it on paper, it's kind of clunky, Yeah, but it's shot well enough and written well enough that it, it's true to the perspective of the people living through it, you know? And so it just kind of works. I Although mean, him driving up on all those cars, yeah. like, I'm like, how did he know that he wasn't just going to ram into like piles of cars and have some sort of weird makeshift bridge there? Like, did he do this before? Like, what? And I feel like that would destroy his car more than just have that flat tire or whatever. I mean, like, but when that girl is on the ground, like, at least lose a muffler. (laughs) At least. Probably a bumper, too. But I don't know. I'm gay. I don't know about cars. I didn't go to school for no cars. Um, When she's on the ground underneath that car and all those fucking rats run up is just like squirmy to me well, i'm like oh. the thought across my mind like what if they were all infected you know because that would be a call back to the plague right because yeah. they were all the carriers when they do ask that about like those horses that are running free and his daughter's like do you think they're infected and he's like no i mean but we we know that chimps can be infected i was like if any of those rats had bit her you know and they're they're presumably chomping down on the corpses everywhere mm-hmm. it would have only made sense they could have easily bitten all of them at that moment, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just up their pant leg or whatever. Because oh, that God. girl was just, like, covered on them. Yes. <laughs> rats everywhere. I was like, get up, get up, get up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's a zombie, too. But the rats. <laughs> I mean. But the, the, the shot of, like, in doing this in such a lighting condition with this crappy camera, really, if you think about it, uh, on, on mini DV uh, is... Uh, you know, you see the silhouettes of those zombies starting to run up behind those rats, and it's just like a, such a visceral uh-huh. moment. And there's a lot of interesting moments like that, and like them going up over the the shopping carts, you know, trying to get up that staircase, mm-hmm. and you know, all of that other stuff. Just like uh, everything is done is not super original, but it's done in such a way that feels true to the story and and super effective. It was just this is really good 
filmmaking craft. I completely agree with you. And I feel like some of that, that filmmaking craft is shown when you talk about like the perspective of things that are coming after you. And he's filming it with fucking mini DV. And I'm just like, is this like a middle finger to other, other, other filmmakers that you're able to do something this good with such a shitty. Yeah, he's like, come for me. Come on <laughs> at me, bro. Like sometimes, especially in the, in the tunnel scene and the shopping cart scene, like you, you can see the zombies coming, but the perspective is so weird. You can, you cannot tell how far away or how close they are. And that also like plays into some of that suspense and like intenseness of it all. So yes, definitely scared while watching this. Uh, Out of five stars, what would you rate 28 Days Later? I gave it a four stars. I gave it four stars too. Originally I was, when I watched it, I was like four and a half, like as soon as it was over. And then I was just like, no, like it's not like it's, it's a four star movie because there are parts of it where I do feel a little bored and not that many. You know, but it kind of drags a little bit. It's a bit. slow burn for me. Like at the beginning, I was like, okay, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of grows. And I was like, actually, this is good. And then I was like, actually, this is really good. And mm-hmm. and I remember thinking there, you know, there's a little bit, there's like a whole scene in that park, you know, that picnic area or whatever that does some character building, but nothing else. Yep. You know, there's a little bit of, of drain until Frank dies. And then it picks up and it's kind of a wet Grinch salad because at that point you're, you're viscerally terrified. And then when they meet the soldiers... It becomes something else. It becomes like a betrayal, a feeling of like my heart hurts, mm-hmm. you know, that humanity is this now, you know, and I was like, do we even deserve to, to live, you know? And so it becomes the kind of that wet grinch salad. And so there's like tonally, it's really well, well paced, but tonally is it just kind of goes for the pain <laughs> more than the scare a little bit sometimes, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, I was kind of fascinated to see my, my previous rating for this, which I don't remember adding on Letterboxd, was a three star. When did you put that on Letterboxd? Have you watched it recently? No, I think I was just going through and, and rating oh, things movies that you had seen three before. years ago or so that I'd seen before and remembering how I felt about them. Yeah. So I could like just see how everything's kind of rated. Um, but now it's a four for me and it might actually get higher with, with you know, more views, but yeah, I mean, maybe because I like my I in, in, initially I was like four and a half. Right. But I was thinking about it and I was like, no, four, four seems right. But I feel like if I watch this again several years later, especially if like this pandemic slows down more. Right. And we have more time away from it. I, I feel like I would rate this movie probably higher because I would look back with some space on our own pandemic and feel a certain kind of way yeah i almost want him to like shit or get off the pot with how he was filming it too yeah you know it's using all these highfalutin lenses but using the shitty camera you know i was just like what are you doing man you know and there was a little bit of you know snobbery to that i felt like you know but maybe not i'm, I'm still on the fence with that whole thing of how it was filmed like i love it and i also kind of hate it at the same time because i cannot decide no so that's why it's a four for me and not for typical reasons. Like, I would watch this again. I would recommend it to others. Yeah, totally. And it's a seminal moment in zombie history. I completely agree with that as history. well. I agree. This is this is canon. Um. So finally, though, who's the hottest guy in Twenty Eight Days Later? Um. Noah Huntley. Who's that? He played Mark. He was, was the Selena's partner. Yes. Uh, he actually, fun fact, played uh, the Burning Man uh, in Event Horizon. Really? Yeah. And a couple of other things. I was like, this is a good actor and he's hot. 
Why isn't he in more shit? <laughs> He's really fucking hot. Like it was like literally like the second guy that we see in the movie. And I was like, he wins. I was like, I, I know the soldiers are coming up or whatever. I was like, but this one, I was like, this guy is really fucking attractive. So yeah, Mark all the way. He's been in some movies. So he's been in makeup a lot, which why? I know. Why are you covering <laughs> that, that makeup face up? Yeah. up? Pick someone fugly to put makeup on. I don't know what happened, you know, but he, he seemed like a, a good actor, good looking. Like he had it. Cause yeah. I forgot that she kills him early on in the movie. And I was just like, Ooh, we're going to have some more of him. Do you want to wait half a second? I know. To, to see like if that's glass or something versus <laughs> like, if he was actually hurt. <laughs> nope. Cause like I saw it in his eyes and I'm like, Whoa. And then only later do you see that, you know, proof put to, you know, proof into pudding or whatever, mm-hmm. where you do see people change within 10 seconds. Right. And also that character, she knows what the fuck she's talking about. She, he was like, that was more than a heartbeat. I believe there's one of my the most the only memorable scene that I remember from 28 weeks later is when they're all in this like underground parking garage or something and it's super crowded because they're hiding or some from I don't know what's going on but they they have some sort of computer monitor and can see who the, the scan the infected mm-hmm. and you see all of these like life signs or whatever on their board for in that in that parking garage and the lights go out and there's like one zombie and you can see the red dots just just spreading across the screen that fast that. and it's insane and it put an impression on me like this is how fast this thing spreads and it's insane i, re- I remember nothing about the whole that fucking movie. parking garage is just filled with zombies hundreds of people I within seconds yes well i think that just about wraps up our conversation on 28 days later As always, we would like to know what you think about this movie and our conversation about it. You can find us on social media at The Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call our hotline at 972-666-7733. I want you to get 28 inches. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) 28 inches later. (laughs) (laughs) Bro. Uh, I I don't know. I can't think of anything sexy to say about this movie. (laughs) Probably because there's like, there's rape in it. And I grease your machete. (laughs) (laughs) Lube up my machete. (laughs) That was more than a heartbeat. Uh, (laughs) Is that a zombie killing baseball bat or are you just happy to see me? There you go. That's good. It's not me killing baseball bat. <laughs> I'm happy to see you. Uh, as Chris just said, we are going to be talking about the sequel 28 weeks later next week. So stay tuned for that. But if you can't get enough of the Film Flamers content, head over to patreon.com slash the Film Flamers. Join the family and get all the bonus content, including the bonus episode this month. Which is I don't know. Which is TBD. Yeah, I guess we'll have to figure that out. At this point, we're doing something, though. Mm -hmm. Something. Mm -hmm. All right, Chris. I think it's about time we run like a fast zombie. And? I don't know. Piccadilly. Edit this episode? (laughs) Edit this episode and have some sweet Sweet dreams. dreams. Some rage dreams. The end of this episode is extremely fucking nigh. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs>